Having these conversations points out to you in good ways and bad ways that you might be coping. That's right. You know what That's I mean? Right. Because you're not outside of yourself to look mm. and be the judge of whether or not you're handling it well. I think that if each one of us look into ourselves and really ask that question. I, that will alleviate some of the hostility and animosity between family members who are Muslims and non-Muslims at the time of death and burial. We have to think outside of the box in serving the Muslim community. Uh, so alhamdulillah, uh, today we have uh, a really great uh, story to talk about, the life experience of um, uh, a woman in the community in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, she's had a very, very powerful and emotional life experience, uh, losing her son to uh, the, the battle with ISIS. Um, and I brought her on today, alhamdulillah, to talk about uh, what it's been like for her uh, emotionally, mentally, how it's affected her family, and to talk about who uh, her son was and uh, what is his story, hopefully, that we can learn from it and that we can grow from it, inshallah, and uh, other families who are dealing with similar issues can learn from her experience and uh, reach out and seek help and not be shy or ashamed or afraid to uh, contact anyone in the community that they need help from, uh, but then also to call our community toward our responsibility uh, to support these families that are in need. Uh, and so I want to, first of all, thank you, uh, Christiane Boudreau, uh, for coming on to the show today. Um, I really appreciate you being here and uh, just from our conversations before filming, all of your openness and your candidness about your experience, I really appreciate it. Thank you very Thanks. much. Um, so if, if you don't mind, let's just start by talking about um, how it is that things unfolded with your son in terms of the beginning of him accepting Islam and uh, how he progressed into radicalization. He was quite young when he accepted Islam. He was only 17 and he'd already gone through depression. He'd already had an attempt at suicide, was trying to find some deeper meaning yeah. within his life. He survived it. He believed that there was a reason, a purpose for him to continue yeah. living and was seeking that out. When he decided to accept Islam, I asked lots of questions, of course, mm -hmm. because I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it meant, but he said it meant a lot for him. Yeah. And I accepted that and I supported that. That was what was important to him. It was his life choice. The changes didn't start happening until three years later. Mm -hmm. So for the first part of his life, once he had accepted his faith, it was very peaceful. He made new friends. They were good friends. He was getting out socially. He seemed to be grounded, happy. And I wasn't concerned about another attempt yeah. of suicide. So things became easier and peaceful for me as well. So emotionally, you saw him begin to recover. Right. Once, once he became Muslim, you saw it as a very powerful, meaningful change in his life. And um, I know that from, you know, meeting you and talking to you and trying to learn more about you and your son, especially your stories, uh, a lot of uh, your son's life was about connectedness and meaning. Right. He was really looking for meaning in his life and he was really looking for meaningful connections. 
uh, to people. Can you talk about uh, what that was like for him early on in his life, even before Islam? He struggled quite a bit. We had gone through a really abusive relationship, and that had a number on him. It did. Yeah. It took its toll. It took its toll on all of us. Yeah. We'd been through a lot. He lost his brother, who passed in 2001. He was only a month old. So that was another struggle, and he wouldn't talk about it. He wasn't open. Yeah. Tried to find him counseling. Tried to get him to reach out to start talking. He felt very alone in his world yeah. because he was so intelligent. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people didn't understand what he saw or what he understood or what yeah. he would learn. Other kids his age didn't mm -hmm. grasp it the same way. So he was set apart from them in a way that kind of isolated him. That's right. From the group. Uh, but not in the way that he wanted. He, he actually wanted to connect from what I understand. That's correct. Yeah. So he was trying to find a way to reach out. He felt more comfortable with the adults, being able to have conversations. He wanted to be challenged. They were, they were more up to his level. Much like more. Older, uh, yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. And, and had he ever talked to you about his emotional struggles? He would never talk openly about his emotions. Yeah. You could just see where he was going, the difficulty, yeah. trying to change his persona, how he was seen on the outside, to try to find a place where he fit in yeah. on the inside. What was it like for you as a mother to see him struggle with, the, again, this meaning, this connectedness in his life? It was very scary. Yeah. And I kept reaching out for help. Unfortunately, the systems weren't in place to make that easy. Yeah. There were wait lists one to two years mm -hmm. for a lot of the places I reached out to. And even at the point when I finally did get him in counseling, he went for about two months. And then the counselor said he was too smart and dancing around him. <laughs> and so I should take him somewhere else. Yeah. So it was very frustrating. Yeah. I felt helpless. Yeah, because you're turning from place to place. It says something about us calling the people who are in positions to support us and to guide us and to take care of us, calling them into action. Right, and it sounds like you reached out in a lot of ways, uh, even in your, your son's younger years, and weren't able to get the help uh, that you needed and that he needed no. very, very much. Um, and, but this also speaks to the consequences of us not being there. Exactly. Uh, the, the helpers and supporters, that's our role. Um, and there's a, there's a real human toll uh, when, we don't, when we don't meet that responsibility. And there seems to be more disconnect in the world today. Mm -hmm. Everybody's hiding behind superficial yeah. computers. Yeah. They're not being who they really are. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be. We don't have that human contact as much as we used to. That's needed. We need that. And because of that, nobody ever gets to know who you really are. I tend to talk about that with especially my clients who will sometimes come in uh, talking about feeling disconnected, talking about, you know, usually they'll have low self-esteem and they'll be waiting for rejection. And uh, the way they cope with that is to be distant. You know, I'll just keep my distance because you're going to leave me anyway. And, and what happens is that oftentimes you don't really realize is that your distance prevents you from giving enough to a person for them to connect to. That's right. And we tend not to think about it along those lines, though. You know, how we 
we contribute to losing people in our lives by not opening up and giving them enough to it has to be a two-way street yeah yeah um did your did your son find anybody in his life that he opened up with or that he really connected to he struggled with it i'm like again mostly with adults other adults just because he could engage in intelligent yeah. conversation but on that deeper emotional level he struggled yeah it was usually hidden behind a computer yeah. he did have a few people that he opened up to he shared with because it's safe but he did get hurt as well. How so? Well, there was one girl that he was completely in love with, but because he was afraid to come out of the house, she finally said, I don't want to just talk on a computer. Oh. And it was shortly after that that he yeah. tried to take his own life. That had to be really heartbreaking for him, you know, to finally make the connection and then it doesn't last. But he wasn't getting out yeah. for his part either. Yeah. So it was another struggle. Yeah. And so in this moment, that's when you were there for him. You tried to get him services and help and all of those things. And uh, how long after this suicide attempt did he find his lap? Well, he was in the hospital for two months. I fought with them. Yeah. They wanted to, right, yeah. because they wanted to uh, discharge him three days after. And it was a serious attempt. He was in intensive care. My parents flew in from France. They told us that he had 24 hours to live, if that. And if he did survive, he'd be a vegetable. Wow. So for him to get up and walk out yeah. on his own two feet, and then for the hospital to say, okay, well, he can yeah. go now. Yeah. I fought really hard. So after about two months, he was released. Yeah. And the psychiatrist suggested that he stay on his own in a group home or something because if he were to come back home he'd likely slip back in the same position he'd been in and I was terrified so I took his advice and it was not very long after that when he found Islam yeah what was his relationship like with you during this very very difficult time we were still close we were always close but yeah. he was not very good at opening up about his feelings it was one thing to have a dialogue yeah. a conversation totally different thing to express his emotions yeah. clearly and so what he had been through really says a lot about uh, what it means to hold on to your feelings so much that you either aren't able to express them or are willing to express them you're afraid to express them um, the toll that it takes on you emotionally really kind of, it eats you up, it consumes you. It does. Yeah. And, and but also one of the things that I, that I hear you saying is that he was in treatment for a very, very long time. How did he see the treatment that he was in? I don't know. Unfortunately, here in Canada, at the age of 17, you're in control of your own medical assistance and help. So for me to get any insight from the psychiatrist at that point, he would have had to sign consent and release. Yeah, and again, your son wasn't open with you about uh, how he felt about the treatment that he was getting. He wasn't. He continued to follow up with that same psychiatrist right up until he left Canada. Did you feel like it was working? Did you feel like it was helping at all? I didn't. I didn't. When he found his faith, yeah. that's what I found yeah. helped. It grounded him. He was safe. To me, there was a piece about him that I felt comfortable with, and that's what I had to trust in. He had found real meaning for himself uh, in, in Islam. Early on, when he had uh, become a Muslim, did you feel like he was surrounded by the right kinds of supportive people? He was. 
He absolutely was. Yeah. I met some of his friends, the very kind, peaceful people, yeah. warm, loving, caring. So it was the right positive mm -hmm. influence in his life at that time. Who did you see your son becoming as a result of that? I saw him becoming a much more patient, yeah. accepting person, stronger, loving. Um, he was much more open to others. He was opening up. Yeah. And as a mother, I imagine you were very, very relieved. I was. To see that. Did you ever convey that to him, talk to him about the changes that you saw and how it made you feel? I did in the beginning. When I saw the changes coming about, I told him I was proud of him. Mm -hmm. How did he receive that? He didn't make any mention one way or the other. He just accepted it. He was really reserved in that way, it sounds like. He was. You couldn't really get a read on him in one way or another. Um, did a lot of that have to do with a lot of the hardships that he had been through in the past? He was just kind of walled up in a lot of ways. I think he held a lot of it in. He didn't want to hurt me. He was always concerned about protecting me yeah. from everything. Yeah. And so you can lose touch with the emotion very, very quickly when you begin to do that. I, I tend to talk to my clients in the same way. You know, um, sometimes when you're hurt, you can try so much to never be hurt again that you, you close those feelings off. Um, yeah. But it also causes you to lose contact with the good, too. It does. Yeah. You go numb. Mm -hmm. What are you feeling right now? I can see the the emotion in your face, the tears in your eyes. I miss it. Yeah. So much I wish I could still say. Yeah. I wish I could just hold him. I, I wish you could have seen that. Me too. I really do. Take your time. Just... The pain you must be going through. A lot. I don't hide it though. Yeah. No, look, I, I really appreciate you, you know, sitting down for this interview. It's a lot. You know, hopefully the families get to see this and um, the young children who are thinking about going off and joining the battles and joining the war and going out and doing these things. They don't realize <clears throat> that you can't help anybody by dying yeah. or by picking up a gun. Yeah. And then you end up hurting the, those that love you the most. Their job is to be with their family. You, you lose so much. Yeah. His little brother will have to pay the price for the rest of his life because of his choices. Good time. <laughs> it, it almost doesn't even feel right you know, to continue on talking because the feeling is so real. But it's important for people to realize it's important yeah. for these kids to stop fighting. Yeah. It's important for them to see that they need to stay with their parents, their family, their friends. This is not the right way. It doesn't solve anything. It just causes more grief and more pain. Mm -hmm. Because he went, from my understanding, your son told you that he, he actually wanted to go over to Syria to protect the women and protect the children who were being abused, who were being, you know, taken advantage of, being killed and murdered and oppressed and... Tortured, yeah. Yeah. And, and here you are, you know, now suffering. 
we don't think about that. You know, we you want to go help someone else, even if you go with the best of intentions. Um, you're still leaving a family behind. And who is he helping right now? No. No one. And he couldn't see it. No. It says something about the importance of meaning to him. That him finding that meaning and going was so important to him. He wanted a purpose. He said specifically while he was there, he needed a purpose in life. And he found it in trying to save women and children and protecting them. And then now he's at least a productive member mm-hmm. of society. That's what he believed. And and that's how it gets in the way. You know, it, it clouds your real vision. It did. You know, especially uh, when you're living with a broken heart. The way you see the world is so different. The way you make your decisions are so different. Your perspective is different, yeah. Um, and you can't see the real consequences. You can't see the real cost. And I have to live with that pain now every day. And the pain of watching his brother suffer is even greater. How is his brother? Hurt. In pain. Not understanding why his big brother would leave him. Yeah. Because that's what it feels like. All right, why did he leave me? Yeah. Because that's what you do. Even though for your son, Damien, he, he had this cause for the people he left behind. It felt like abandonment. So I feel very helpless with his brother, with Luke, because I don't know how to fix his broken heart. I can't fix it. Does he talk? Yes. He's different. (laughs) He talks openly about his feelings all the time. Um, so, So what does Luke talk about when he does talk to you about his feelings? He just tells me everything he's feeling inside. So he will explain if he's feeling sad, angry, confused. He's very articulate mm-hmm. for an 11 year old. Mm-hmm. And he shares everything he feels. Have you seen any changes in him emotionally? Oh, of course. Yeah. In the beginning, I was really, really worried. Yeah. A lot of angry outbursts. Um, I got him a lot of help. I wouldn't give up. I kept fighting to find him help at least to deal with it. He's become very afraid of a lot of things, afraid of losing me. So if I travel or anything like that, he'd much prefer to be with me, he said, because if something happens to me, it happens to both of us and he doesn't have to live on without me. So painful. It is. I mean, I, I, I really can't imagine what this has to be like, you know. Your world has been kind of flipped. Completely upside down. It's changed our whole lives. Yeah. I, I really wish you something good to see. Me too. Yeah. If he had the foresight to see what it would do, I think it would have changed his mind. Yeah. How important it was to save you, to save his brother. Yeah. Especially his brother. I'm a grown adult. His brother is not, and he didn't deserve it. 
how have you been taking care of yourself? Not very well. I know, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> Most parents don't. You know, they, they have children to take care of. And it's easy to overlook yourself. It's difficult to decide what it is that I need. I don't know. I've never looked at that. So I wouldn't know where to start. Making the move to France, being with my parents, is a big one. To be comforted. Right, and feel safe. Yeah. And together. When do you just sit? Not very much. <laughs> not very often. There's not a lot of time in the day to just sit. But it sounds like you need it. And I will when we finally get to France. France. What has this been like for your parents? Especially being so far away from you. Probably very similar to me. Yeah. Helpless. Yeah. I'm a parent. That's what I feel the most. So I'm quite certain they feel the same. Yeah. So it would be good for you guys to all be around each other. Right. To really be able to hold each other to comfort each other because you do need it. And at that time together, yeah. they're not getting any younger. And I really need to be with them. In France, you hope to start a new life? A peaceful one. Yeah. yeah. A little bit more simple than what it has been. Yeah. We haven't been able to settle down very well. I haven't been able to find work. Here. Here, because of my experience and because I was so outspoken. Unfortunately, people aren't comfortable with that. How so? In Canada, it's seen as anybody who speaks out about something that we need to start doing something for these families, start helping these kids, stopping them. And that's how I've been outspoken. And because of it, a lot of people feel there's a political side to it or it could affect their bottom do yeah. dollar. Yeah. If they employ me, my focus won't be there. And that's understandable. And so therefore, we have now just lost our home and everything else as well. So, And so the community continues to fail you. You know, there's not one hardship that you can go through where people wake up. Nope. I guess I'm breaking the ground for everybody else so they won't have to go through it. I hope so. That's my hope as well. I hope so. You know, I'm, it's just a lot to even just to hear the story, even just to sit with you. You know, I, I feel for you and my heart goes out to you and, and I wish I could do more. You know, and it's frustrating. Very frustrating. Very, very frustrating. Scary too. Yeah. You know, in a time where people should be surrounding you, comforting you, and holding you, and taking care of you, rushing to your aid. It hasn't worked that way. I just keep trying to make sure that nobody else goes through it. Yeah. Has, have you found any success in that? Yes. We've stopped a few kids from traveling overseas and changing their lives, turn their lives around. I usually just work with the families around them. What's happening with the families, you know, in terms of what are they going through when they're reaching out? 
they're scared when they reach out. They're terrified. They've tried usually reaching out to mental health or just communities or whatever the case may be, various resources, and had no success. So they're very much relieved when we come in and we connect them with certain people and everything starts to change and come back together. What exactly do you do? You know, let's say I give you a call and I say I'm worried about my child or, you know, my brother's child, my sister's child. Who do you connect that that young person with? What we try to do is work with the families first yeah. so that the young person doesn't realize what's happening because otherwise you're going to create another brick wall yeah. for them to fight against. Yeah. And you don't want to do that. You just want to steer them in a more positive direction mm -hmm. and intervene that way so they're not really aware. Yeah. So they're not going to put up that brick wall and stop you from stopping them because yeah. at that point can be a challenge in itself. So you're helping the, the families actually intervene with the child. Right. Yeah. And a social circle yeah. and try to build that circle of strength around them and redirect them in a positive way and connect, the, connect them with other net, networks, resources that they can embrace this person, mentor them, guide them. What's the name of the organization that you're doing this through? I started an organization called High Canada Family Support. Mm -hmm. And we also have another international network called Mothers for Life. And it's a network of, of other mothers who have had their children go off and, you know, become radicalized and fight in the wars and things like that. Yeah. How did you all meet each other, connect with each other? I went searching for other parents because I felt so alone. I didn't want to feel alone anymore. Yeah. And after meeting a couple of other mothers in Europe, I talked to another gentleman who's a specialist in working with families the way that Hyatt Canada Family Support does. So he developed methodologies that we use. Yeah. I met with him in Germany and we decided to create a network. And once we, once we got some publicity around it, other parents started connecting with us. So you're doing for other people what should have been done for you. You know exactly what their needs are. Yeah. And people, I imagine, they're responding to you so well. Well, we all get along. We're yeah. like a family. Yeah. So even though we're in 10 different countries, we're very close-knit yeah. and attached to one another. How has that helped you emotionally? It's given me an outlet yeah. of somebody who feels what I feel. They get it. They get the thoughts. They understand all the challenges that I go through without judgment. Yeah. You're able to open up to each other and, and talk, you know, for real about what it is that you're feeling. And we have a place. Exactly. With each other. We do. And we try to find new ways for messaging for youth, other actions to put those supports in place or to try to... And I can't say counter the messaging that they're getting because yeah. it's not. It's redirecting more positive messaging. Which would have been very, very helpful for your son. For everybody. Yeah. You know, my, my understanding, it just so happened, you know, number one, thank you again for, for being so willing to do this this interview. With, the way that, that we came here today was really just through an off-chance conversation uh, with a mutual friend that we have together. But 
um, in the days leading up to us meeting with each other today, you know, I'd explain to someone that I was going to meet with you and uh, he's a member of the Muslim community and he, he did talk about your son. Uh, and he also felt very good about your son, you know, saying, you know, he was a very good kid and, you know, he was looking for purpose and he was looking to get connected. Um, and, and so how was it that your son, when he was connected to such a, um, a, a good community, how did he begin to be led away? He moved. So he moved to another part of the city and transportation to his regular community was difficult. Yeah. So he started going to a new um, mosque yeah. to pray and met new people. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the pull of these people, their intellectual pull was very strong. Yeah. And that's where he fit, that's was in that intellectual. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, but that, that says a lot about, I know that in, in one of your interviews and even in my own experience around, you know, the radic- radicalization of, of many young Muslims, you tend to understand that, that people become easily radicalized in the same way that, you know, the youth join gangs. You know, because they're looking for purpose and protection and and belonging and real meaning for themselves. And it's these very powerful people who come into their lives and and kind of sway them. They're very charismatic. Yeah. These people called out to your son. Um, What was it that they were telling him? They were telling him that the Assad regime was torturing women and children. So they pulled his one motivation within him in his heart, emotionally, Justice. was exactly, yeah. and that it was wrong what was happening, mm-hmm. and he needed to stand up with his brothers yeah. and stop it. Yeah, and and you know, I my understanding is that you would talk to him while he was over in Syria from time to time. Did he ever give you any real inclination that he was starting to see that things weren't all that he was told? No. He never did. He just kept saying his faith was getting stronger. And he felt right and believed in what he was doing. Mind you, that being said, he was killed before all the nonsense that we've seen today started. Yeah. So it's it's very easy for him to feel like he's, you know, fighting for freedom. And because he had not seen a lot of the other injustices that were soon to come after his passing. Yeah. I mean, I I know that... um, one very powerful story that you told was your experience of being on the phone with him when uh, he thought a plane was coming to bomb. Um, and, and even for my own stuff, it was it was very it, it tore at my heart uh, to hear you talked about being on the phone with him while he was running. Yeah. You know. I will never forget that. Yeah. That's burned into my memory forever. It's trauma. It's a lot. It's a lot of trauma. It speaks to the importance of you taking care of you right now, too. You know, please don't forget yourself for this. Try to. Unfortunately, we have yet another battle. So yeah. the sooner I can get to France, the sooner. Yeah, you can begin to take care of yourself. Yeah. And in France, they're more open. To providing support, you know, for families of people who have lost loved ones in the war. Much more open. And then I know some other parents in Europe, so I'll be closer to them. 
but it's very difficult to get connected with people in North America. Yeah. They're so afraid of the stigma yeah. and the judgment that they just don't reach out. Yeah. And, and the truth is, is that, and it sounds hard to say, but their fear is warranted, you know, in it the is. sense that, you know, it's easy for me to say, you know, stand up and speak out. But I mean, you, it sounds like you who are in the most need have suffered so many consequences, you know, as a result of doing what's right. You know, I believed it was right. You really start to second guess yourself. Of course. Of course. But that's the purpose of it. You know, this is this is what injustice does. Right. It causes you to question who you are. It does. Right. And, and and the meaning behind what you're doing, you're you're trying to help families in need. And they want you to believe that that's not right. That's basically how it starts to appear yeah. on the surface. And, and when you look at it and feel it, it's difficult to understand why we have to go through so much more if we're doing the right thing. Yeah. Shouldn't it be that things get easier? Right. But doesn't seem to be the case. People should be rushing to your aid, rushing to support you emotionally, financially, supporting your family, everything. It hasn't happened. Yeah. How about the Muslim community? They've been very supportive emotionally, yeah. friendships, yeah. whatever the case may be. To me, people are people. Yeah. I don't look at it as a separate community. Yeah. Either they're my friend or they're not. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. what color their skin is or what yeah. faith they have or anything. Yeah. So I don't look at it that way. And part of me asking that question again is um, for, for us to challenge our own selves to make sure that, um, look, the reality is that many people will turn away. Um, from families who are in need, and, and that's when our true courage comes forward. Because um, you don't have a choice in this. No. You know this. This is this is your life, um, and it's not something that you can just avoid. Whereas we have a choice. Anyone who's not directly affected by this, but who has the opportunity to come to your aid, to rush to be by your side, we can choose that or not. You know, and, and my hope is, is that we will always choose to rush. It's, I think, a humanity thing that we've all moved away from. Mm-hmm. And we're all afraid to get involved or to come out of our safe bubble to help others. Yeah. And we wind up hurting people over again. Yeah. Right? You know, you, you suffer one trauma and then you're, you're traumatized by the fact that people um, turn away. It's affected a lot of our life. Again, we can't, we have nowhere to stay. um, So we have to leave. Can't work here, so I have to leave. So as much as I want to be with my parents, it would have been much easier to say, I'm making the choice. Instead of being under pressure and saying, I don't have the choice, I have to go. And now we're stuck in limbo. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're fighting a whole other fight that, of course, we, we don't have to go into here. But, so, you know, I, I know that we've taken a lot of your time today. <laughs> and okay. I, I keep saying thank you. I said that. I'll thank you a whole lot. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I really do appreciate, you know, you sharing what you've been through. And, and I hope that countless families, you know, will really 
benefit and be encouraged and be challenged, you know, to, to seek out help and to get the support that you're looking for and um, to not be afraid and to seek you out um, for support and guidance uh, around their, their worries and concerns about their loved ones. Um, if you can just uh, share whatever it is that you can or any thoughts or encouragements that you would like to give to any families who are uh, dealing with the same hardships that you have been going through. I think the biggest thing for anybody to realize as difficult as that first step to reaching out is the relief that comes with it afterwards and the support and that connection brings them so much more strength and this is their kid's life. Yeah. It is worth crossing that line of fear to reach out for that help. We're so emotionally connected to our kids. It's difficult to take that step back to see the logic that can be used to try to help them. And that's what other people are for. And we really need to start teaching our kids how to reach out and being an example. Correct. Right. And and look, speaking as a psychologist, the one thing that comes to mind for me is challenging the community, law enforcement, family services, social services to really challenge all of us to step up to meet that need. You know, I think it's it's very clear and it's very easy how mu- to see how much money and effort and time gets put into investigating our young people. Embalming them. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Right? And and we don't put that much care and consideration into intervening. And preventing the education, prevention, the resources to help steer our young people in the right direction to begin with before they even contemplate something like this. Because many of these people are at risk for for any number of different reasons, mentally, emotionally, socially. There's a lot going on with them, you know, before they wind up joining one of these groups. Exactly. Um, They need help. They need support. Again, like you said, they need guidance and, and, and hopefully we can challenge ourselves to meet that need of, of all of our young people. We need to start building stronger communities again. Correct. Correct. Um, thank you again, you know, for, for your time and for all of your wisdom and, and for all of your honesty. I, I really do wish you the best. And thank you. I want to continue to keep you in my prayer. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Yes, and I'm already going to have to walk. Uh... <laughs>